Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me. I, another episode of what we call Conversations with Dr. Cowan and Friends. Now, the friend I have with me today uh, actually ne needs no introduction, but that doesn't stop me because I'm going to introduce him anyways. And Joel, as I always tell my uh, guests, uh, I, I don't say like you went to this college or did this because frankly, I don't even remember those and I don't know what, where you went to college and it doesn't matter. And the other thing is if I get anything wrong, I would love it if you correct me because okay. I don't want that to stand. Um, so the two things that I was thinking of with Joel was, um, you know, for a number of years, if I was in a conversation with somebody and I wanted to get a sense of whether they really knew about food and what good food is and what, you know, proper nutrition is, there are, of course, a lot of questions you can ask them. You know, do they know about grass-fed meat? Do they know about good fats? Do they eat butter? So you could go on for, you know, minutes, maybe even hours. And I ended up thinking that's way too tedious. I'll just ask them, do you know Sally Fallon? And if they say no, then I know they don't really know about food. Um, now, the reason I bring that up is I ended up doing the same thing with farming. So I could ask them, you know, do you do organics? Do you rotate your crops? Do you do grazing? And, you know, there's a million questions you could ask them and you get all kinds of answers. And I ended up thinking, oh, the, the heck with that. I just say, do you know Joel Salatin? <laughs> and if they say no, I say, well, all right, we got a long ways to go here. Uh, so th that's, I think, sort of all I need to say, except one other thing. Uh, you wrote a book, and I'm not sure I'm going to get the title right, which is was called Why Is Everything I Want to Do Illegal? Is that that's pretty close? It's pretty close. The, the title, the title is Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. Right. That, that's the title. Yeah. Now, the first thing I want to say is when I saw that title, I thought to myself, man, I I that's the book I wanted to write. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so here's the thing. It was such an amazing title because it really described my whole medical career. I don't know how many times I thought, you know, I'd love to give this person mistletoe. Oh, I can't, he can't import it. I'd love to uh, tell this person about diet or whatever. No, you can't do that. Uh, I, so I didn't actually read the book. Because I thought it was such a great title. I don't need to read this book. I, I, I can imagine. But just just a sort of story. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but in California, where I was, and now I've moved, um, it's actually illegal for a licensed physician to give any sort of advice to cancer patients besides chemotherapy, surgery, or radiation. You are not allowed to tell a person who's sick with cancer, you know, you might want to think about what you eat. <laughs> wow. And just tell them. And, and so it's actually, I don't know if it's a law or some sort of decree or 
emergency authorization that's been for decades. But I, Joel, I wanted to start there because, because, like I said, I didn't read the book, but I can imagine all the things. So, if you could describe the things that you see in your life in farming that are illegal, that uh, that you would actually like to do, because I, I think that's a it would be a fun place for me to start. Sure. Well, um, yeah, a, a great one of the nicest things that we'd like to do, for example, would be, I mean, we, we raise all this wonderful beef and pork and chicken and stuff here on pasture. We'd like to be able to make, for example, a, a pot pie, a chicken pot pie and sell it to a, you know, to a neighbor or to somebody at church, uh, to a friend, you know, uh, people want, people want um, high quality convenience food. Um, yes. I mean, we look, you know, 30 years ago, people like me were predicting, wow, in 30 years, everybody's going to be in their kitchen. We're going to be cooking from, from scratch, you know, and, and this whole, you know, tsunami of, of food integrity is going to dominate the, the domestic culinary arts and everybody's going to be in their kitchen, you know, doing this. Well, that's not, we couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> um, Pete, uh, yes, the, the interest in integrity food is, is still with us. But um, we joke around here at Polyface. We say what what everybody wants is um, uh, they want they want Polyface hot pockets. And, yeah. So and, so let me just get this straight. So you you actually first of all you you clearly produce you know healthy chickens, healthy beef, all that. So that's not the problem, right? That that's not that's not the problem. It's not no. I mean. Um, and it's I mean, not the problem that you can't make chicken pot pies. Well, the, the problem is that the pot pie, that, that no, yeah, we can make them. The problem is it's illegal to sell them unless they're done in an inspected kitchen with a HACCP plan, that stands for Hazardous Analysis Critical Control Point uh, plan that's approved with, the, with, with uh, technical, very expensive infrastructure to maintain cold chains, um, hot, uh, um, you know, hot chains, they're called heat, hot chains, cold chains, all these sorts of things, you know, expensive thermometers, expensive uh, holding, you know, uh, places. And, um, and, you know, we, we've been, we've been uh, whatever, you know, we've been cooking food and eating our food for a long, long time. We have customers and friends that would love to eat yeah. the kind of that that come out for dinner and get up from the table and say, "Man, would you make this for me? I would buy it." Yeah, you know? right. Uh, it, you know, um, and and so th they 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 trust us completely. Uh, they would love to be able to get, you know, integrity, convenience type food like this. But between but in in the midst of that what could be a very amicable transaction are a host of bureaucrats that, that are, that are demanding uh, infrastructure, paperwork, uh, licensing, compliance requirements that, that, that just make it, uh, well, they, they make it virtually impossible. So, so yeah, that, and I think what I was probably driving at, which is what I saw, it, you know, in my world, it was 
you know, I would say, well, I think this, whatever it is might help you, you know, and then the patient, the person would freely choose, well, I think I'd like to try that. There's no coercion. And then we, 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 we settle on a price like, okay, I'll, I'll charge you $200 for a month of mistletoe. And mm-hmm. the person says, okay, I'm fine. And then that, that somehow isn't a lo- enough to allow the transaction to happen. That is correct. That's correct. Uh, as, as we've said around here, you know, um, we, we live in a society now that has certain, oh, uh, you know, buzz phrases. Um, one is, you know, consenting adults. Uh, you know, get out of my bedroom, we're consenting adults. Well, uh, how about getting out of my mouth? We're consenting adults. Or getting out of my stomach. You know, yeah. we're consenting adults. And, and so we, you know, we use these, you know, we use these phrases uh, for, for other things. Uh, but then when we, when we apply them in a, in a more general way, uh, then, you know, then the bureaucracy picks and chooses how these phrases are going to be, uh, are going to be used. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, our, our position is that uh, when, you know, when the government, when the, when the bureaucrat gets between my, you know, uh, uh, gets between my lips and my throat, uh, we call that an invasion of privacy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Right. You know, uh, Dr. Tom, I was over in, I was, I was actually in California speaking at a, in a university several years ago. And I had, I had, I don't know what, 400 students in this lecture hall. And I asked for a show of hands. I said, how many of you believe that there should be a, a government agent to certify the, um, you know, the safety of a carrot, a cabbage, a beet, um, green beans that you grow in your own garden. In other words, that you should not be able to eat out of your own garden unless there is a government agent telling you that it's okay. And do you know that about one third, one third of the hands went up on that question. And these were who? These, these were college students. College, college. just, were they agricultural students or just? No, no, just, no, they were just liberal arts, you know, just normal normal yeah. college students. But that's, that's how, that's how whatever, um, uh, paranoid and disempowered as a culture we have come uh, to take responsibility for our own decisions our own health our own responsibility we've just become completely emasculated from being able to make any of those uh, what, what have historically been you know uh, uh, private personal decisions and did you did you ask any of them what their rationale for that choice was well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I put it in the context. The whole context was about, you know, was about uh, um, food, you know, food choice, and and that that um, uh, there's a, there's another catchphrase we use. We're all about choice, right? Choice, choice, choice. But you know, I, I can I can choose um, I can choose to to feed my kids, uh, you know, Mountain Dew all day. I can choose to feed my kids Velveeta, you know, squirtable cheese, but I can't choose to feed them raw milk or a, you know, or a backyard chicken. And, and it was in that context that, that I, I, I just questioned 
because I can kind of feel some pushback, you know, on this on this choice thing. I, I think I think a lot of people don't realize how how much whatever freedom, how much freedom, not just in food, but in health, in education, in 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 economics, how much freedom Americans have lost. And 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 uh, I think that it's important on us to for us to uh, to just bring this whole liberty and freedom you know idea uh back to our culture and you know what what can be more whatever more personal than than the freedom to choose the food that i eat the freedom to choose the fuel i i i give my body that's got to be the most fundamental intimate intimate choice um that i have to make and yet we have a lot of people who think you know, we shouldn't be able to make that choice. So, so Joel, how do you think you got into thinking like this? <laughs> well, I come, I come from deep roots. My, you know, my, my family, my mom and dad were both mavericks. I mean, way, way before their time. Um, you know, in, in, in college, mom started a, um, a non-alcoholic women's fraternity and got blackballed because, you know, she wasn't a party player. And, uh, and so she got, you know, strikes against her in her resume. Um, my dad was an early adherent to, uh, uh, I mean, my grandfather, his dad was one of the charter, very first subscribers to Rodale's Organic Gardening and Farming Magazine wow. in 1949. And so, you know, even in the 19, you know, 1950s, you know, grandpa was, was making compost piles and everybody was reaching for, you know, 10, 10, 10 chemical fertilizer. So I grew up in this very unorthodox, unconventional home uh, where we, you know, we, uh, we drank tiger's milk. We followed Adele, Adele Davis, you know, eat right and uh, eat right to keep fit and all that early stuff. I and mean, we always joked that dad, dad was organic before Rachel Carson wrote for Silent Spring. So, you know, I grew up in this wonderful, um, uh, this wonderful maverick household where, you know, as I, as I look back, people ask me, you know, what's the most special thing about your growing up? And I think it's be, it, what my most special thing about growing up was I truly grew up in a household where, where um, we were, we were encouraged, we were encouraged to, to take the road less traveled. We were encouraged to think alternatively, and yeah. and um, what a blessing to grow up not being peer dependent. Yeah, I mean, that's such a powerful thing. And was there a point in your life that you felt like I have a sort of fork in the road, and I can either become sort of a conventional farmer, or it just never made sense to you? No, no. I mean, yeah. I, uh, no. I mean, I we we grew up uh, completely. <laughs> you know, off the industrial commercial grid and uh, um, mindset. And so, no, the thought, the thought that we would, you know, ever use chemicals or, or whatever, you know, just, it, it never crossed our minds. I mean, never we, crossed your mind. It never crossed our mind. We, we were just, we were just completely immersed in, you know, an ecological alternative view of, um, of everything. And so, you know, the, in, in all the times I've heard you, that some of the things that are so striking, which I, I, you know, they're they're both simple and incredibly profound, is something as simple as, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your guiding principle is to let pigs be pigs and chickens be chickens. 
that's right. It, it is simple and it's profound. You know, we live in a we live in a culture right now of, of when our orthodoxy and our culture it doesn't even view the pig or the chicken or a tomato for that matter as fundamentally biological. The worldview, the worldview of the conventional food system is, and, and even you and I as humans, the view of the conventional thinking is that we are fundamentally more mechanical than biological. We, yes. we are, we, we, we are, we are more, more like a car engine, uh, you know, than we are, spirit if you will and yes. and, and so uh that that interchangeable part kind of idea permeates our thinking and so at, at our farm we you know we we dare to ask um how to make a happy pig how to have a happy chicken how to have a happy tomato plant because that question doesn't get asked by anything and we believe it's the it's the it's the foundation of ethical thinking to ask how does a being, what kind of a habitat creates a platform for a being to express its, its phenotypical and physiological distinctiveness? Because if, if we can't ask that for a pig or a chicken or a tomato plant, we certainly can't ask it for Tom or Joel or Sally or Mary. You know, it's it's how we honor and respect the distinctiveness of the least of these that creates an ethical framework on how we respect and honor the greatest of these. Yes, so, it, it's just it's just so, natural. So, in other words, you're you're and and how do you go about the process of? Okay, so let's take a pig, and so the the question, and, and you're completely right. The question is not how to get the most money per whatever. The question is how to help a pig express itself to be the, the, the healthiest, most vibrant, most alive pig it can be yes. with, with, I think, the expectation that, you know, it's like I've said for I don't know how many years, you cannot expect to get healthy by eating sick chickens. That's right. Right. Like that's that's a ridiculous concept. Right. So the so the idea is that somehow the way the world is organized, the the fact that the pig is is the healthiest pig it can be, is the key to human health to a certain extent. I mean, at least from a food point of view. Yeah. So how do you go about finding out, uh, like deciding what the how a pig or a chicken or a tomato should live? Yeah, so uh, what a great question. So you know, a pig is an omnivore, and uh, and it has it has this wonderful um, you know nose to to root. You know, it, it wants to root, and it doesn't have real good eyesight, and it's made to you know to eat a, a great variety of things, and so the idea then is to to look at at this being. Let's just call it a being, and say, well you know, what, where do you thrive the most? Where are you able to, to uh, present your greatest life vitality? You know, where does that happen? And, um, and so, you know, we, we want the pigs to be outside. They're, they're an outdoor animal. They're not inside. We want them to be able to root in the dirt. We don't put them on slatted floors. Um, we want, we want to let them move around and not stay in their own manure all the time, like in a factory confinement house. Yeah. So you know, there, there are very specific things. I mean, one of the one of the most um, 
whatever. And what do you see with the pig when you do what the way you do it versus the way that they do it in commercial agriculture? Well, I, I think the, the best example was we had a chef visit. He was a, he was a, you know, a 30 year old chef and um, he was wanting to get some of our stuff. We wanted to come out and see the farm. So I took him out. We took him out to the pigs out in the, out in the, uh, the pig pasture one of the pig pastures that we have and he, he stood there he'd never he'd never seen a live pig now he he cooked a lot of pork chops but he'd never seen a live pig and he right. stood there he stood there looking at these pigs for a little bit and then he said you know i don't know anything about pigs but i think if i was a pig i'd want to be raised like this yeah. now, he he didn't know anything about pigs but he he the the uh, the the gamboling of the pigs the dancing the happiness the interaction the social the social um um interplay uh the just the whole the whole uh, atmosphere resonated contentment and he and, and and that's something that you and i we can connect at that level you know you, you can tell pretty quick if a person is not content yeah, and you can tell pretty quick if an animal is not content. How do you, how do you tell? What do you look for? Well, first of all, you you want to see them be able to sleep, uh, uh -huh. to be able to be able to rest, so they're not they're not fighting. There, I mean, one of the things in these in these uh, big you know Smithfield uh, confinement uh, factory pig farms is the pigs are just constantly in a you know in those little tiny cells, and they're just yeah. constantly. Uh, they're fighting. They're biting each other. They're they're um, they're chasing each other around the the pen. Um, they're they're complete. They can't they can't rest. They can't relax. They're just under. That's why they have to cut their tails off. So the tails are so tender that when the pigs nip on each other, uh, the other pig will move away because it hurts uh, with the you know the the cut off tail. So um, the the. the you know the beauty of, of, of the way we we raise pigs is that you know they're active they are up and around but I'll tell you what they spend a lot of time just taking a big long nap you know <laughs> yeah and 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 talking to each other probably yeah yeah and and you know I mean I mean chickens I mean let, let's take chickens I mean in the industry they never let them be in the dark in the in the industry they keep lights on them 24 7. Wow. So they can, so they can never really sleep, and they just keep eating, 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 and eating. Whereas here on the pasture, we don't have lights out in the pasture, so when the sun goes down, they go to sleep. Yeah. And so the result is they grow slower than the ones in the industry, but they're healthier, they're more vibrant. We don't have we don't have to give them medications. We don't have vet bills, and the chickens have a life vitality because they're able to go through the natural bird's desire to sleep. Yeah. Um, one of the best examples of this I know was back, you know, 40 years ago when the uh, experts started saying, we needed to feed uh, dead cows to cows. You know, we need to, need to grind up cows, cook them down and feed them back to cows. And I looked around the planet and I said, well, <laughs> where, 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 does, where does an herbivore, where does, show me an herbivore that eats carrion. I mean, that's the point of an herbivore. They don't yeah. eat meat. You know, yeah. they're, they're herbivores. And I couldn't find a place where an herbivore eats eats carrion. You know, it eats yeah. meat. 
And so I said, well, we're not going to do it because I don't see, I don't see a template, a pattern in nature that this happens. So we didn't feed dead cows to our cows. And then of course, you know, what happened 30 years later, you know, we have this um, big global, oops, maybe we should not have done that you know, <laughs> with, uh, with bovine spongiform encephalopathy. And so, you know, we, and we, we were vilified at the time. We were so we were barbarians. We were Neanderthals. You hate science. Don't you want progress? Aren't you interested in, in farm economics? I mean, there was, there was every kind of thing hurled at us you could imagine. But 30 years later, in, 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 the, in the slinky, in the, in, the, uh, in the delayed action of nature batting last, yeah. We finally we finally found out the result of an improper decision made 30 years earlier. So so did did they claim there was also besides economic reason there were like quote science papers that supported this practice back then? Oh yes. Um I mean shoot the goodness the, the US I call it the US duh. The US <laughs> the US duh you know, took, took farmers like me to free steak dinners to teach us this new scientific method of feeding cows. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There, it was, it was a, it was a four, you know, it was a, an orchestrated, you know, lobby effort to, um, because, you know, it was cheap and the U.S. duh is always about cheap. You know, yeah. if, we, if we, if we can, if we can get, if we can knock a few more pennies off the food, then, you know, that's, that's a good thing. And so, uh, so there, there was no, there, there, I can tell you there was no science, there were no studies looking at a change in nutrition, a change in, you know, fatty acid ratios, contents, riboflavin, B vitamins. There yeah. were no studies doing that. It was, it was simply, do the, do the, can the cows survive? Uh, you know, can they walk into the knock gate, you know, and, 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 and can you grow them cheaper? Uh, the only the only question we ask in our orthodoxy is uh, in our culture is can we grow them fatter, faster, bigger, and cheaper? That's yeah. all, all that matters. Right. Uh, and and for example, right now there are studies, there are uh, there are uh, research projects at land grant universities to study the porcine stress gene, so that eventually we can find that and extract it from the from pork from pig DNA so that we can continue to abuse them more, but at least they won't be stressed about it. <laughs> right. And, and I ask you, I ask you, is it is it a leap then to assume that that a society that has that as an objective in 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 their in their food will eventually th that same objective will show up in the society, you know, in our, in the way we interact with each other um, to, you know, the way our medical community, health community, psycho, psychiatric community, you know, the way yeah. we um, interact with each other. It is happening, I can tell you. But, uh, the, you know, the thing that's so striking is, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this, in, in all my years in medical school and residency and everything after that, uh, Generally speaking, nobody talked about like nutrition or food, but you know there were times, let's say three percent or ten percent, uh, where they talked about nutrition. But I can tell you, in all those times in medical school, 
for instance, in all the things they talked about nutrition, nobody once mentioned a food, right? So they, right. they it, talk it, about- it, Yeah, it's all a piece of a food. It's, it's yeah. a piece of a food. Yeah. It's a chemical that's allegedly right. in a food, allegedly is mm -hmm. the active ingredient and they don't even prove that. They just, right. but, but the idea that if you eat a sick chicken, what'll happen to you, that never crossed anybody's mind. Right, right. Now, Joel, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So here we have this situation where humans have uh, essentially, uh, well, they have gone into, into a, a mode of being where they have, uh, I don't want to use the word chosen, but maybe that's it. Maybe that's the word. Chosen to think like this, which is that they give up their sovereignty, they give up their, their ability to you know, decide what goes in their mouth. They've gone profoundly against the blueprint that nature has given us. So here's the question. Do you have any theories as to why this happened? Because <laughs> I have a theory. Okay, well, I'd, I'd be glad to hear your theory. I mean, my my theory is simply that um, that that the the mass of humanity. There are exceptions, obviously, exceptions. Uh, um, you and I are probably exceptions, but but the the mass of humanity um, uh, wants a free lunch. Think you can thinks you can get something for nothing. Uh, I mean, we, we say around here for the average person in the U.S., as long as the NFL is on TV, beer is in the fridge and the and, and, and the roof is up, all is well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, it's this it's this whole idea that that I just I just I just go along. I'm a, I'm a, I just go along. And, um, you know, listen, thinking thinking is hard work. Yeah, thinking is really hard work. So. I just take it to the, the fact that we, we tend to be, you know, conven convenience oriented. And so whatever is convenient is uh, makes life easier. So let me, let me press you a little further on a, and a, maybe a, a deeper way of thinking about this because, because this is not new to human beings, right? No, no, it's not at all new. That's right. So, so like, what's the, what's the game we're playing here? Like what, what's going on here? Why is this such a, a huge part of what we're all experiencing, particularly in the last year or so? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, if I mean, not, I, I'll, I, I'll give you my thought and I'll see right. what, what your response is. I, I think that the essence of this, or this is what I, come to. And when I say sort of the game that human beings are playing, it's, it's as if we were set up into a kind of a system where I would say we were endowed by our creator with the freedom to choose, because the freedom to choose is, is integral to what it means to be a human being. And let me give you an example. If, if you decide you want to marry some woman or something and you, you ask her, will you marry me? And she obviously has a choice. And if she says, uh, sure, uh, you know, I'll marry you, Joel, because my father says it's the right thing to do. And anyways, 
you seem to have a lot of money, or maybe you might someday have a lot of money. I think I'm going to do that. Uh-huh. You you would say, at least I would have said, or that that doesn't feel right to me. That the thing that's most important that people uh, do right now is choose the way they want to live. Mm-hmm. They they have to choose, and so. Essentially, we were, as it sometimes is said, we were endowed, I think I would say by our creator, with the opportunity uh, to, without coercion, choose everything from what we want to eat and how we want to do medicine and whether we want to wear a mask. And it's out of that that we develop our sense of what it means to be a human being. And that's kind of the big picture. And We've been doing that for about 2,500 years or so, the, uh, working on this, uh, what are you going to do, humans? And now we've come to the point where we might lose it all, right? <laughs> we might lose it all. Yeah, yeah well, I, I appreciate, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think it's important for us to all remember that that humans have been choosing wrongly for a long time. I mean, what was the guy thinking, the guy that cut the last tree on Easter Island? Yeah. Um, I mean, those kinds of things. And we, and, 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 you know, when, uh, when Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, Homer, Homer could walk across the entire of Northern Africa, the Sahara, and never, never leave the shade of a tree, he said. Right. Uh, You know, what, what, what was he thinking? I mean, we, we stood on our own farm here. Uh, you know, we came in 1961 to this eroded rock pile uh, that was a, that was a, a, a had you know five foot deep topsoil in it in you know 400 years ago, and it was plowed in corn and planted in wheat and plowed and planted and plowed for 200 years until all the topsoil left. And we've got you know we we have uh, gullies you know 10 12 feet deep, uh, bare soil, five feet of topsoil washed off into the Chesapeake Bay. And I'm sitting here looking, you know, looking back through the the, the family that you know started the piece, the, the first one that got the property, you know, after the Native Americans, and 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 lived here until we came, and all these people that successively lived here and 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 eroded this. Meanwhile, you know, they were they were putting money in the missionary barrel. They were nice Presbyterians and Methodists, and and, and you know, they were. They, they were exploiting and extracting wealth that was not theirs to extract that, that they were supposed to steward yeah um and 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 i i constantly ask what were they thinking this 10 foot deep gully didn't develop in a day it started as a little as a little itty bitty you know erosion spot yeah. Didn't somebody see it? Didn't somebody see it? Could they not see? You know, the, the Chinese have a saying that if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to end up where we're headed. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And and could could they not understand that this little this little six inch thing today, in a hundred years, is going to be you know twelve feet deep, and um, and yeah. And, and that's exactly Joel because I know what a profound thinker you are. What was going through their head? Yes, yeah, th- that that's exactly that's exactly what. And I don't have an answer. I, I really? look, I look at it. I see the destruction, and I don't have. 
the only answer I can think of is that they they had other things on their mind. <laughs> you know, they, they they were just thinking about other things. Really? Because uh, my they, answer was because be they had because like it or not, they had freedom. And if you have freedom, you're allowed to choose stupid things. That's right. That's right. And and you can't and you can't legislate, you can't legislate stupid. Or, or you can't you, you can't criminalize stupid you know right. and 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 uh yeah you're right about that but yeah uh for sure you know we need we need to uh, elevate our prophets and poets uh to to equal equal status with our technicians or our technicians are gonna <laughs> are gonna uh destroy us as, as they've done you know throughout history right so so really your mission if you want to if you want to summarize it, is to be the steward of the land that you were essentially endowed or put on earth in order to be. Yes, yes. So our when people ask me, you know, what what keeps your what what floats your boat? What makes you excited to get up in the morning? And and what makes me excited to get up in the morning is I know I can step out that back door and I can I can step in to 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 God's nest, uh, I mean, it's 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 ultimately yeah. not, I'm on a pilgrimage. It's not my stuff. Yeah. It, it's his stuff. I'm simply a steward. Right. But I'm but but I'm I'm his. I'm God's hands, hands and intellect and feet on this little place. Right. And so so I become this this extension, if you will, of of his uh, caress, of his massage, of this. Of this beautiful abundant creation it it's you know the, the mainline agriculture views views nature really views the land as a reluctant a reluctant partner that i've got to i've got to subdue and dominate and get into a you know a half yeah. nelson and i'm gonna make you grow the <laughs> you know it's this it's this yeah. very uh aggressive uh, thing we're actually actually we've been placed it, it's it's a benevolent lover yeah. that simply to be caressed in the right places that's a very different way of, of looking at our landscape our farmscape um and what what we've been you know th this is not a place of scarcity this yeah. is a place of unbelievable abundance and, and you know i'm not that old uh, i'm getting old but i'm not that old but i i do for for my short lifetime to remember when i was a little you know four and five years old and 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 walking these fields and being able to walk the entire field and never set foot on a piece of vegetation because there was that much bare ground and 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 seeing these big ball you know rock these big rock saucers just shale shale saucers out in the field that were you know a quarter to a half an acre in size uh didn't even grow a weed i mean it was just solid rock and to today you know having thick thick forage thick grass no bare ground and and you know 12 inches of soil on those rocks that just has 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 grown up like a you know um like a healed wound on your hand uh it just makes me weep you know to realize yeah. that, that that's how much that's how much our nest wants to give back yeah and and we and we just need to, we just need to appreciate its, 
its um, its proclivities, its desires, and and give it a chance. And if we give it a chance, it will it will respond. And it sounds like, the, in a sense, the only question you need to ask in order to get that result is how does the daffodil and the pig and the chicken and the horse want to live? Yes. If you just stick with that question, the rest of it just follows because it has no choice, really. That, that, that's exactly right. That's ex and what, what has been the historical, the historical platform that enabled this, whatever it is, to be able to thrive. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. And, and 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 the historical the historical platform for you know building soil is not John Deere tractors, 10, 10, 10 chemical fertilizers, and Roundup ready soybeans. That is that is <laughs> that has not been the template through history. Right. The, the template through history has been solar driven biomass conversion pruned with herbivores, chased by predators across a choreographed ballet landscape of multi-speciation that works in relational symbiosis. That's nature's pattern. And that's why you move your, your, your livestock. Yeah. yeah, and that's why we have lots of different kinds of livestock yeah. in, in proximity, um, you know, working together, uh, everybody has a niche to fill right. and, you know, and, and, and goodness, we, we humans have a niche to fill. I mean, so often, uh, I, I encounter people that think that, that seem to think that we can kind of <laughs> pull up stakes, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have to uh, participate today, yeah. but you know, we've got a lot of, we built a lot of ponds here on the farm and, and a lot of frogs. And I've never seen a frog, I've never seen a frog wake up in the morning on the edge of the pond and say, huh, you know, I, I think I'm not going to participate today, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, ultimately, every one of us has to participate somehow. And the question is, I'm going to participate by default. How then shall I then live? How yes. shall I then choose in that participation? Right. And that reminds me, I don't know if you've ever met a guy named Trauger Grow. Yes. You, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, Trauger was a good friend of mine. And he, he had an interesting thing, which uh, pissed a lot of people off because he he was not a fan of of unmanaged, you know, like lands. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, there's maybe some places. Right. But he 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 was adamant that human beings uh, need to be part of that because we have essentially been given a role in this. I mean, it's it's referred to as given dominion, which can be interpreted in a lot of ways. But but the way I interpret it is given responsibility to make good choices. Yes. It doesn't mean that's a, like a horrible thing that, oh, well, you think you're so great, you know, whatever. It It's just the facts, you know. It is. It is. I, I, I kind of like the term caretaker. Yeah. Caretaker, but, 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 you know, that's fine. And, and yeah, you, you know, and, and what you just said, I can imagine, you know, a rabid environmentalist uh, wanting everything turned into wilderness. See, here's the problem, Tom. The problem is that, that people like people like us who 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 care, who who want to think through and want to do better and do right. 
Um, we look back through the through the the time period through history, and if you have any whatever uh, thinking charity in your mind at all, you, you go into a grief funk. You say, yeah. I'm, sorry. "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my great great grandparents did this. I'm sorry that my you know ancestors did this," and we walk around, you know, just just in this in this terrible, you know. Uh, grief, frustration, and depression, you know, uh, flagellating and doing penance because, you know, of, of, of what humans have done to the planet. I right. mean, basically, every desert, every desert is man-made. Every, uh, certainly every, uh, you know, riparian dead zone is man-made. Right. Um, you know, these are not naturally, naturally occurring things. And so, and so it's, it's natural for people who care to be incredibly um disappointed yeah in human interaction in human interaction with nature i get that so we carry this you know we're like we're like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress we've got this burden yeah. on our back you know that we carry and so my answer to that is is to honor it and say yes i appreciate i i understand that i share the grief but what's my response is my response to abandon uh, what we call environmentalism by abandonment, get all the people off, turn everything into a wild, you know, uh, a wilderness area and a park and, and get rid of the people? Or is it to take my intellectual and mechanical ability and come as a, as, as, as a, a caretaker masseuse to this damaged land and restore, redeem it, bring it back to a place of abundance and thriving, um, because that's the other option, and yeah. that, and that takes, that takes a lot of investment of time and attention and creativity, you know, to make happen. But we we have the capacity. We have both the mechanical and intellectual capacity to come to these damaged lands and heal every single one of them. And, and you're a living example of that. I mean, that's what you've done for 40 years or so. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can see, I, I, I can only imagine that those gullies are now either gone or they're uh, healed and there's pasture land growing over and yes. it's feeding food to people that's the highest quality food they, that you can imagine. Yes, uh, all of that is correct. There are a few gullies yet. We plant we planted trees on some of them uh, that were on some steep hillsides that we knew we'd never really open up into pastures that were you know real. Yeah. Steep. But but now they you know they're they're in forest and they're and they've got you know litter building in the bottom. They're right. not eroding and there's you know there's 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 uh, there's stuff collecting in the bottom of them. So um, yeah, all of that all of that is 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 changed. It's completely different. And, you know, a place that used to support 10 cows now supports 100 cows. And we've never bought a bag of cedar or planted a chemical fertilizer, you know, a, a planted cedar bought a bag of chemical fertilizer, you know, in, in 60 years. Wow. So, um, you know, if, if that can be in, done in 60 years, imagine what could be done in 500 years yeah. or a thousand years. Right. If, if, if we just steadily, if every generation steadily, uh, um, created more commons, more commons, more soil, more air, more water, you know, um, if, if, if each generation created more commons than was there before, I mean, that's, I mean, my question is always, well, 
if God owns it all, what's his return on investment? Yeah. And, and, and so, so, you know, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give a return on investment to this, to this nest we've been given. Right. Or another way to say it is the way that I evaluate a, like a political agenda is, is there more topsoil here now than when you got into office? Because yeah. if there isn't, you, you were a failure. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, how many, how many business plans presented to bankers uh, are, are presented to bankers and a banker says, now, now this is, this is a great business plan. In fact, uh, it's so good. I, I want to be your partner, but before I, you know, before I join you in this venture, uh, I want to ask you, what is this going to do to the earthworms in our yeah, community? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and nobody asks that. And yet, right. you know, and I know, and any thinking person knows that ultimately that is a more important value. Yeah. It's a more important equity proposition yes. than whether than whether Wall Street goes up or down. Yes, that that's that is whether things got better or not is what happened to the earthworms. Yes. Yeah. All right, Joel. So you decided uh, to have a conference in I think it's June eighteenth. That's or correct. maybe 19. And, <laughs> Both days. It's a two-day. And, day, two and day. I am actually speaking live at that conference at your farm, which I am honored to do. Could you tell us, A, what inspired you to do this and what might happen there and why people might want to come to this? Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, so th this this is the little pitch. So the, the, it's, it's, um, this, this was conceived by my fellow uh, co-author for our book, Beyond Labels, uh, that came out last year, Dr. Sina McCullough. And- uh, I'm gonna stop you for one minute because for years people have asked me after I talk about food, they say, so Tom, you mean I should read labels? And I always say no, because if it has a label, don't eat it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So, so that's exactly where this book goes, step by step, as a you know, yeah. to coach people through. So yeah, the book is, is beyond labels. Well, you know, after COVID hit last year, and I mean, you know, I I used to travel a lot, speaking. All, of course, all that shut down. Nobody was having conferences. Um, you know, um, we haven't talked at all about COVID. I will just I will just tell. I I think we're on the same page that that um, we think there's a lot of politics to it. And that Dr. Fauci is not telling the truth, and the CDC is not telling the truth. Right. And so, anyway, with with our our the the tribe that we're in, we just felt this kind of um, uh, almost a, a, a repressed. Uh, people wanted to get together, you know, they, yeah. and 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 they needed encouragement. When people ask me, said say, you know, how do you, with all the pushback that you get from every place, how do you stay, you know, enthusiastic and 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 excited about what you're doing? And and I say two things. One is, one is that I I I feed my I feed my soul, my mind, and my soul alternative thought. So I don't spend every day watching CNN and MSNBC. I, I I'm feeding my I'm, I'm feeding myself information, information from alternative sources like the contagion myth. Okay. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I, that's what I'm reading. All right. Um, and then, and then the second thing is to, to invest time in gathering together with people who, who, who will affirm, who will affirm me in this alternative path rather than naysay, uh, you know, uh, um, whatever, you know, be a, 
be a, a problem. And so, um, so as Cena and I talked, we realized, man, you know, people need encouragement. They need information. They need information. They need the truth. They need information so they can feel validated so that they can, they can own, they can own their decision, or as you say, own your choice. Uh, you know, I'm not doing this because so-and-so said it. I'm doing this because here's the truth. Here's what yeah. I understand. All right. And so people need that, and and we see people desperate to get together, to socialize, to fellowship, right. uh, to just to just hug and 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 enjoy each other's company, and be so be human and be humans. So so last fall, as as uh, during last late last early early in the winter at our farm, we were looking at well so. So how do we how do we minister this way? And we're always looking at how can we how can we minister to people? And so we came up with this idea of of kind of 300 person gatherings here at the farm. Uh, we had done a pop up one with Weston A. Price, uh, Sally and Maureen and uh, and and um, you know yeah. uh, holistic Hilda and the whole crew there um, last last fall when Atlanta canceled their their big conference. Right and. Uh, and um, uh, Kathy Kramer called me and said, you know, we're just talking here on the board and would you be willing to host a little pop-up thing if we could pull it together? I said, sure. And we went from, from nothing to hosting it in 10 days. Wow. They, sold, they sold out in like two days and people left, I mean, Tom, people left levitating. It, it wow. was like, it was just like, like, like drinking from a fire hose of, of, of truth and encouragement and Dell Bigtree was here. Uh, it was just fantastic. And so that kind of stimulated us to say, all right, what, what can we do? How, how can we leverage, we, we, you know, we, we, we've got the farm, we've got the place, we've got, we've got you know, uh, um, a, a little bit of notoriety within, you know, within this tribe. How can we leverage this to minister to people? And so we basically developed these uh, gatherings for this year and uh, actually, the first one is going to be this Saturday with Holistic Hilda. She's wow. coming uh, this Saturday. But then June 18 and 19, uh, Cena is going to pretty much ramrod this look back, take charge, move forward, uh, live disease free and full of energy by applying ancient wisdom in a modern world. And we're going to have, of course, we're going to have you. Um, we're going to have, um, you know, Dr. Christine Schaffner. Um, we're going to have uh, Dr. William Archer. Um, we're going to have a, you know, a, a, a uh, Dr. Sabine Hazen, uh, Corsina McCullough, a guy named Dr. Thomas Cowan, uh, Dr. Peter Osborne. I mean, these these are are heavy hitter researchers who have who have been in or discovered this this unorthodox truth in our time in our culture. And and we will be for these two days. Of course, you're going to be eating eating uh, polyphase food. We're su we're supplying you know two meals a day for everybody. It'll be the best food in the world, and uh, and so we're just gonna we're just gonna get together for these two days and immerse ourselves in in truth coming from the uh, from the lunatic fringe, and. Uh, <laughs> And 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 it's gonna it's just going to be uh, it's just gonna be fantastic. I can't wait to see all of you, meet all of you, and get the 
the, you know, the, the positive, um, we can do this spirit that I know is going to be just uh, effusive throughout the two days. Is there a website or a place people can go to look at it, sign up and? Yes, there is. Uh, of course, um, you know, Cena McCullough uh, has one, but ma mainly it's the Polyface, Polyface Farms website. Just click on Polyface, just uh, Polyface Farms. Uh, if you put in P-O-L-Y, it will pop yeah, right out. Uh, and go to events and go to gatherings. And it's right there. We, we have seven of them scheduled for the season. And, um, and this is this will be the, the second one, actually, uh, coming up in June. And we're just very, very excited about it. Uh, tickets are tickets are moving right along. Uh, I think we're uh, it's limited to 300 people. I think we're we're way over 200 now. So we're Great. coming onto the down downwind leg, and we're very excited about uh, very excited about about the opportunity about the about convening this level of um, of of capacity in one place. That's uh, that's a pretty exciting thing. Great. All right, Joe, any final words for our friends here? Uh, no, I think I, I, I think the, the thing that I want to leave people with is to realize that the task seems so big sometimes. There's so yeah. many, there's so much craziness, so much uh, whatever, foolishness, untruth, whatever out there. But just remember, the world that we have is a physical manifestation of the, of, of, trillions and quadrillions of little decisions that have been made by individuals day to day leading up to today yes and the, the world the world that we create for our grandchildren and our legacy will likewise be a physical manifestation of the quadrillions of decisions that you and i make between now and then Got and it. so 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 we have the privilege of shaping one decision at a time that legacy future Let's all grab a hold of it, be serious about it, enjoy it, have fun with it, embrace it, and 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 make a new legacy. Joel, you are an inspiration to all of us. I, I'm so grateful for your joining me, and I am looking forward to being there on June 18th. We're looking forward to having you. Okay, thank you so much, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.